Who's excited to worship the Lord today?
You can be seated. Good morning. That is just such a good word today. God is good. Amen? And we have so much to be thankful for. And I am just so glad to have an opportunity to get to come up this morning and share with you some awesome things God is doing right here in Salem Fields through his people. And one of those things is our intergenerational Thanksgiving. Now, I have a huge praise report here. We're not looking for more volunteers. What? That is amazing, right? When do we ever say that? What we are looking for is just like we had an opportunity at Halloween to be for Spotsy and to be in our neighborhoods, 
we are having another chance for you to be four spots and for the people that God has surrounded you with to invite them to this intergenerational dinner. What seniors does God have you around? What have the people in your lives that God has surrounded you with that you could invite, that you could bring alongside to get to sit down and have a meal to be intentional and pour into? We want you to have community and be here with us. So think about that and join us for the intergenerational dinner, November 17th, 5.30 to 8. Now we also have another awesome opportunity. I'm sure you saw, I'm excited, Christmas decorations in the middle of the lobby with our first Spotsy big sign. And what we're doing now is we got to write thank you cards and encourage all of the teachers at Smith Station. And now we're going to go a step further. We're going to continue to show them how God is for them and we are for them by blessing them with Christmas gifts this Christmas. So the teachers over at Smith Station have already made lists for us of the things that they wish they had for their classroom. And some things are small and some things are big. But we have an opportunity to bless every classroom, the kids and the students, by taking one of those little cards. And you may fill everything out on that card or you may just do some of the items on the card. You may want to partner with someone and, and see if they want to jump in with you so you can clear the card. But go to the Smith Station card lists and grab one of those cards and see how you can be a blessing and be for Spotsy with us as we bless the teachers there this Christmas. Now, these things are possible through your giving and your continuing in worship, and we have opportunity to tithe in so many ways here. And so you could go to SalemFields.com, you can go to the kiosk, you can text SFGIVE to 94,000. So continue in that way of worshiping God and thankfulness by giving and being a part of the things that are happening here for Spotsy through Salem Fields community. Now, there are lots of ways that we continue to do that, not just here in Salem Fields and not just the events, but we have an awesome thing called Night to Shine, and we're going to get an opportunity to host it again, and so we want to take a look at how God works through us and through the big church in loving this world. So let's check it out together. What's up, guys? I hope you're having a fantastic day. I am. You know why? Because we are focusing, we are talking, and we are planning Night to Shine, February 11th. As you know, it is my favorite night of the year. And yes, because of COVID, we had to adapt last year, and we're also having to adapt this year. We're still not going to be in person, but we are going to have a worldwide shine through parade and virtual celebration that I am so excited about. Is it going to be quite the same as being in person? I don't know, but I still believe that God's going to use it. He's going to use it to be able to celebrate lives because we'll still be able to crown them as king and queen. We'll still be able to celebrate them. They'll still be able to dance from their cars. They'll still be able to be loved, to be cared for, and hopefully hear the good news of the gospel. Guys, traveling all over the country and all over the world, one of the constant themes is in COVID, how many people with special needs are feeling forgotten, have been isolated, have been in their homes, have had nobody to celebrate them, nobody to love on them, nobody to care for them. That's why I believe this year's Night to Shine may be even more important. That's why we really do desperately need you to say yes, to get involved, to get your church involved, to figure out how you can be a volunteer, whether that's just staying on the red carpet and as cars go by, you cheer and celebrate them whether that's just stopping and praying for all those with special needs that have had no one to tell them that they're awesome the last two years. But on Night to Shine, we're not only gonna tell them, we're gonna show them how awesome they are. For your church, there can be so many ways that you can make it special. Whatever it is in your community that's different. Last year, we got to see drum lines, we got to see gymnasts, we got to see cheerleaders, we got to see so many amazing things. How could you make it special? So would you get your church involved? Would you sign up? Would you join us? and saying, you know what, you might have been alone, but you haven't been forgotten. And we're going to celebrate you. We're going to love you. You're going to be the king of the queen, February 11th, on Night to Shine. Thanks for being a part of it. God bless you guys. So we are absolutely excited to be able to host Night to Shine again. And so uh, registration and volunteer sign-up isn't open just yet, but we wanted to make sure that if you are interested in either getting uh, somebody signed up or if you already, you know what, I want to serve, I want to help make this event awesome, there is a sign-up list out in the lobby, uh, so make sure to stop by there. Uh, will you stand to your feet and join us as we just continue to worship our amazing God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a God that is continually moving. He's still doing miracles. And so all we have to do is believe it and receive it and just watch how he moves in and through our lives. Amen.
And I've lived stories that have proved your faithfulness And I've seen miracles my mind can comprehend Cause there is beauty in what I can't understand Cause Jesus it's you It's Jesus it's you Oh, I believe the wonder-working God, the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, it's too good to not believe. You're the wonder-working God, and you heal because you love. All the miracles we'll see, it's too good to not believe. It's too good to not believe. It's too good to not believe. And I can't resurrect a man with my own hands. But as the mention of your name can raise the day. Come on! All the glory to the only one who can. still moving so whatever you need to believe God for open your heart and receive and declare we've seen cancer disappear we've seen broken bodies heal so don't you tell me he can't do it don't you tell me he can't do it we've seen real life resurrection we've seen mental health restore so don't you tell me he can't do it don't you tell me. Let your faith arise. Come on. We've seen families reunited. We've seen prodigals return. Just don't you tell me he can't do it. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Because we've seen troubled souls delivered. We've seen addicts finally fret. So don't you tell me he can't do it. Don't you tell me he. Let's declare. We'll see cities in revival and salvation flood the strength. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Don't you tell me he can't do it. We'll see glory fill the nations like the world has never seen. Don't you tell me he can't do it because I know that he can't. Oh, I believe the one who you're the wonder-working God All the miracles I see It's too good to not believe You're the wonder-working God And you heal because you love All the miracles I see It's too good to not believe It's too good to not believe It's too good to not I believe 
you are faithful, Lord, so full of love. We serve a faithful God. Again, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is unbelievably in love with each and every single one of you, no matter what your story is, no matter what your testimony is. So when you worship him and when you praise him, pray from a, a place that you don't have to earn, but just receive his love, receive his grace, and just give him the glory and praise that he deserves for who he is. Amen. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Lie you won't tear down coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down coming after me There's no shadow you won't
Father, we stand here with hearts of gratitude for the fact that you first loved us. It's nothing we have to earn. It's nothing we have to strive for. It's what we just have to receive. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that you have. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy that continues to want to mold us and shape us and to be more like you because you know that that's where true life is found. That's where true salvation is found. So God, our hearts are open to you. We've come to meet with you. We've come to encounter you. And so we just pray that you just anoint Pastor Tim to deliver your word and let us just receive it with open hearts and obedience and joy. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. There are sons and daughters our mothers and fathers, our grandparents, neighbors, and friends. They served in a thousand different ways in places spanning the globe, watching, waiting, and ready at a moment's notice to give what was asked of them. So now we pause to express our gratitude and love toward those who served. Each swore a sacred oath to protect, and each bravely stood in our place around the world, all so that we could stand secure in the land of the free. Words like sacrifice, honor, Commitment, integrity, bravery, and courage hardly scratch the surface of our gratitude for their service. While our words fail against the enormity of expressing our thanks for all you've done, we still raise our voices and honor you in our hearts, which are filled with the deepest kind of gratitude. To all of you, we pause to say, God bless you. And thank you for your service. Good morning. Um, if you're a veteran, let's go ahead and stand. If you're a veteran, now I know, come on, there we go, there we go. Most veterans I know don't want the applause, but thank you. Thank you. Um, let's, let's join them in standing as we read God's word here. So everybody can stand with me. We're going to be reading out of Colossians 3, 15 through 17 this morning. Let the peace of Christ... Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing sing your hearts out to God let every detail in your lives words actions whatever be done in the name of the master Jesus thanking God the father every step of the way father I pray that you would speak through me this morning continue to rest your presence your holy spirit in this room at home online in people's cars while they're driving this week wherever they are listening to this message. I pray that your presence would speak to them. What the words, the thoughts, the actions, the feelings that you want to speak into their lives to help them become who you called them to be. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, my name is Pastor Tim. If, if you don't know me, I'm the uh, executive pastor here 
um, pop in and out every now and then to, to speak, and it's such an honor and a privilege. I spoke a few weeks back about uh, how to find a, a mentor. Uh, it's a very practical message. I hope that it helped everybody else out. I'm here for another practical message this morning, um, and that is to help clarify uh, some of the seasonal confusion that's going around social media about what season it is. It was very cold this morning when I woke up. Um, and so some people are still in the pumpkin spice latte uh, fall season. And to you, I say, that's okay, but you're wrong. Um, it's Christmas season. <laughs> I got the holiday music playing. My cold drive here this morning as the windows are defogging and defrosting. Let me help you out. Labor Day, whether it's September 1st or September 7th, is the start of pumpkin spice latte season. That is fall. Unless you're a parent and your kids go back to school August 10th, then you can treat yourself August 10th with, hey, it's the new season. Praise God, they're out of the house for the summer. And that goes up through Halloween, or All Saints Day, depending on how holy you are, into November 1st, November 2nd, and then it ends. Now, some of you might hold on. It's fine. I still got pumpkin spice coffee that I drink because it's left over. But the Christmas blend comes out November 2nd. It is Christmas season from November 2nd until December 30th. I don't know if you think I'm serious or not, or if this has anything to do with the message, but I need to clarify this because there's so much misinformation going around social media. We take a three-day break during the Christmas season for Thanksgiving. It's obviously the day of Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving when whoever's cooking starts cooking like a mad person, and you're in there sampling, and obviously leftover day the day after Thanksgiving. And then we go right back into the Christmas season. Now, show of hands, who thinks that Christmas trees and the Christmas season goes up the day after Thanksgiving? Okay. You are wrong. <laughs> you are the same people that want to give twice the amount of time to a pumpkin than you would to baby Jesus. And I just need you to think about that. If you don't think about anything else today, think about that. And if you're wondering, well, what about New Year's? When does New Year's start? Well, you get six days roughly after, five, six days roughly after Christmas to pack everything up, to put it away, to maybe turn your tree into a New Year's tree, or in Louisiana, we would turn them into a Mardi Gras tree. The Christmas tree stays up six months out of the year in Louisiana. You just decorate it for the different holidays that come up. But December 30th through Groundhog Day, September, uh, September, February 2nd is New Year's. Because for three weeks, you're telling people Happy New Year. Third week of January, you're still telling people Happy New Year whenever you see them. And you also need to be reminded about your resolutions that you didn't keep. So if you just real quick, we'll go through this. Day after Labor Day starts fall, pumpkin spice season. Thank you. Goes through November 1st, then we start Christmas season. That goes through December 30th with a three-day break in the middle. Then we start New Year's, then we go to Groundhog's Day, then we go to Valentine's Day, and then we have Easter. And then we have summer, and we start it all over again. Just want everybody to be clear on that. Very practical message, let's pray. <laughs> Just kidding. There's so many things that divide us today. Oh, it got serious real quick. Went from whether it's pumpkin spice latte season or the different seasons or politics or masks or vaccines or type of food you eat. So many things that divide us. And in a couple of weeks when we have Thanksgiving, usually all those things come to the same table and they're in your family or your friends group. And then you try not to talk about them and then somebody breaks a seal and there's a food fight or an argument, or somebody goes home early because they just can't stand that. Maybe that's just my house. I don't know. Um, but, but that's how it is. There's so many things that divide us. There's so many things that, that in our culture, in our society, in our homes, our workplaces, that 
cause division. I was telling somebody earlier, like, we're a society of a thousand different stress fractures. And any moment, it feels like something's going to break us. And it's all going to fall apart. That's how we're living. We feel like we're barely put together sometimes. And yet, as Christians, as believers, we're supposed to have this grace, have this joy, have this thanksgiving upon us. My little daughter, who's 12, uh, adopted from Haiti, um, and, and she is a very literal person. So, like, no dad jokes, no, like, word plays, like, none of it makes sense, and it all falls flat. I know I'm a lot funnier than how it comes across to her. And, um, and, and she accepted Christ uh, this summer. We baptized her. She's 12 years old. And um, I made sure, like, it's the proper pastor, like, I took her through a baptism class in my dining room table because I'm like, hey, we got to go through a baptism class. I got to make sure that you know what you're, what you're getting into. She was having a rough week this week, and um, as I went in to pray for her one night, she in tears. I mean, let me tell you, like, when your kids are crying, like, it just breaks your heart. And it's one thing if they're crying because they're four because they ran into something they shouldn't ran into. Then you kind of laugh, and then you put them back together. But it's another thing when they're 12, and they're going through the emotions. And she says this. this none of this is in my notes. Um, she says, is it easier or harder once you become a Christian? Talking about life. I was like, man, it's really too late to talk about this. I mean, just tears in her eyes. And I said, uh, there's some things that are easier. There's a lot of things that are harder. And trying to figure out how to explain that to a 12-year-old is very literal that we all have trials, we all have temptations, we all have bad days. Not everybody likes us sometimes as people, Christian or not. You can just have a bad day. And yet, in her mind, as a Christian, once she believed it wasn't all supposed to be roses and good news, but when you tell somebody, hey, you're receiving the good news, she thought it was really good news. Like, she's very literal. I thought, I thought everything was good from here on. I thought we good from here on out. I'm like, ah, I probably should explain this a little bit further. Um, that's got other kids I can, I can clarify that on in the future. But with her, we were just walking through some of that. It just made me realize as Christians, there's this perception that we've got it all together and that things are supposed to be smooth road even if they're not for us. We're supposed to have this facade and this face and this air of grace and humility, hospitality. And for the most part, that's true, but it's hard sometimes, especially during the holidays especially around people that we may not appreciate as much their views or what they've done to us, words that they've spoken into our lives. But we're going to talk about today, what do you do at the table? And it could be a Thanksgiving ta table, it could be Sunday afternoon table, it could be your work table at your lounge, at, at your office. What do you do at the table? And I want you to start to have this imagery throughout the, the talk today, throughout the message of this table. And this table, we see this over and over again. As, as Christians, we are called to the altar. We are called to surrender. We're called to the grave. We're called to the cross. It's the same thing. It's a death to ourselves. And when we come up from that, Christ invites us to his table. And we see this imagery all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. See, in Psalm 23, many of you know it for different reasons, but Psalm 23, King David says, you prepare a place for me, a table in the presence of my enemies. Later on, after David becomes king, he starts searching high and low for his adversary, King Saul, who is now deceased, 
looking for a way to honor him and bless him, even though it was his sworn enemy. And somebody says, his grandson, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is still out there. And he was dropped when he was a baby. He's crippled from the legs down. He's still living. And David says, bring him and give him the seat of honor for the rest of his days at my table, at the king's table. See, in Revelation, all the way to the, to the end of the New Testament, we see them talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, this feast, this big table that everybody is at, people you agree with, people you don't agree with. And of course, we also see the image at the Last Supper of the table. Christ has his disciples there. I want you to continue to think about this table. Think about not just the people you want there, but maybe the people that you don't want that are also sitting at the table. They're also sitting at the table. See, we don't all come to the cross the same. We don't all have the same story. We don't all have the same journey. We don't come to the cross from the same place. We have different origins. But at the cross, we're at the same place. At the cross, we're the same. And when we come up from that, even though we might still have our own opinions and principles and thoughts on things, if we have received the grace of Christ, we're all invited at that table. Everyone's welcome. And it gets me when we sing about the reckless love of God that Mephibosheth, crippled, could not provide for his own meal, gets the guest of honor seat at David's table for the rest of his life. Until one day while David was out, Mephibosheth, not being thankful, turned on the king. And we look at the Last Supper, there is very much in the Jewish culture symbolism with everything that's happening there. And when you have 12 guys around the table plus Christ, the 12 disciples plus Christ, you have in that day a host, a co-host, and a seat of honor, the guest of honor. Christ is the host. He's the MC of the dinner. John, the youngest, was the co-host. Coincidentally enough, Peter, who is probably the leader amongst everybody, was seated at the lowest of the low table. The guest of honor, Judas. Judas. Christ knowing what was going to happen later that night, knowing that Judas was going to betray him, still let him eat and put him at the guest of honor seat. Judas not knowing that he was betraying Christ. Judas thinking he was doing the right thing. And Christ says, whoever dips their hand in this cup after me is going to be the one that betrays me. Judas realizing he was next in line. Wait a second. And he leans over and he says, is it me? And Jesus leans over and says, yeah, man, it's you. Peter, whisper, you hey, John, what are they talking about over there? <laughs> it's such a gossip. He wants to be in the know. What are they talking about? Judas gets up and leaves kicks in the process of what's going to happen later that night. The symbolism of even at the Last Supper, the ones that have betrayed Christ, there's a seat. And if Christ can give grace even in that moment, can we not give grace in our lives today? I want you to continue to visualize this table, and we're going to speak about that real quick. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. This is the Last Supper account here. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, 
This is my body. And after he took a cup and, and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out due to the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You might recall a, a few teachings earlier, um, according to John's account, at least in, in John 6. Jesus takes this bread and takes the fish and, and lifts it up and breaks it and gives thanks for it and then begins to multiply it. There's 5,000 men and the women and children weren't counted there, but there's 5,000 there. And Jesus gives thanks, breaks it, and begins to multiply. And there's this miracle that takes place. That night, he goes and walks on water. And the next day, you're giving out free food on Wednesday. On Thursday, guess what happens? Everybody shows up again. And the crowd swelled because this miracle had taken place, and they wanted to see it again. And Jesus says, nope, no miracle today. But I tell you what, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you can follow me. And people say, whoa, that was different than what we were told yesterday. That was a different menu item. And I'll be honest with you, if I was in that crowd, I would pump the brakes real fast on that whole action. Because it doesn't make sense. We get the privilege of 2,000 years of hindsight in the moment. That seemed pretty weird. John 6, 66 says, and many who followed him that day stopped. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? Peter stands up and says, no, where are we to go? You have the words of life. All throughout the miracle and the blessing, all throughout the New Testament, you see Jesus do this. He lifts up something, gives thanks for it. Gives thanks before he heals somebody. Gives thanks for the situation. Gives thanks for where that person is. Gives thanks for what is in his hand. And then the blessing and then the multiplication and the miracle happens in that moment. See, part of what's in our hand is part of surrendering. Whatever situation you have in your life, wherever you're coming from, it may be rough for you. You maybe have received Christ, but you're saying, man, this journey is rough. It's a lot harder than I realized. And there's a lot of what we call trials and tribulations. Maybe things don't make sense. Maybe I'm going through something with my spouse. I'm not halfway joking, I'm halfway serious that every problem you have, once you get married, becomes a marriage problem. If you were broke before you got married and you were bad with your finances, when you do get married, it's a marriage problem. It's not a finance problem, it's a marriage problem. My wife and I have different dietary uh, expressions. I'm a meat eater. She is plant-based, vegan, gluten-free, like no meat, no sugar, no fun, like all of it. <laughs> that is not a difference of opinions, that is a marriage problem. And we are seeking help. Whatever it is that you're going through, Christ says, what's in your hand? Lift it. Give thanks for it and watch the multiplication, watch the blessing, watch what happens. I want to go back again into this table atmosphere, dive a little bit more, create a little bit more of what's going on at this Last Supper. The, the thought of breaking the bread and dipping it into the wine, passing it around, drinking the wine, passing that around, again, is another Jewish custom. but it's a Jewish custom of betrothal of the man proposing to the woman. 
And he says, basically, if you dip your bread in this cup and drink the wine, you are accepting my proposal of marriage. There's no getting down on one knee and waiting patiently for her to say yes, like I did for an hour and a half. Are you going to say yes? I'm just going to stay here until you say yes. I'm not going to get up until you say yes. Um, that's halfway true. That was the custom. When Christ takes the bread and dips it, it wasn't like a normal thing. The 12 burly men disciples knew what was happening. It would be an essence of Rich coming up here, hanging out with me, and then getting down on one knee. And I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? Do you need to tie your shoe? Do you need to tie my shoe? Like, what's going on? That's the imagery that they see. They see what's happening there. And then once the female says, basically does the action, the, the groom says, I'm going to go to my father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for us. It was communal living. They built onto the father's house. All the sons built onto the father's house and then it just spread out ranch style. I'm going to build onto my father's house. I'll prepare a place for us and then I'll come back and we'll have a feast. This last supper is very much table setting. Of people that have received Christ's grace, but also people that didn't agree with the direction of where things were going. People there that would betray Christ. In fact, the gospels say not just Judas, but all the disciples betrayed Christ that night. And yet Christ still washed their feet and let them eat. As we go into more solemn act of this service, uh, we're going to partake in what's called communion. There's two big things in the, in the Protestant faith when it comes to symbolism or acts of receiving the grace of Christ. Number one is baptism. When you're baptized, you go under the waters. The symbolism of dying to self, of coming to the altar, of coming to the cross, and you come up and everybody cheers and you're washed anew. Is there anything that special that happens in the waters? No, I hope it's chlorinated. But no, there's nothing special that happens in the waters. The act is the symbolism of what has happened in your life. And it's the same thing when we take communion or the Eucharist as it's called. We take the wafer or the bread or whatever you have with you and you eat and, and you remember Christ's body broken for you but also for the church. When you drink the wine or the juice or whatever you have, you remember the blood that was spilt for the forgiveness of your sins, that reckless love that Christ is still pursuing us. And we don't do that alone. We do it in community. We do it in community. It's a beautiful thing. And, and the original Latin for that's called the Eucharist. And if any of you grew up here in the term Eucharist instead of communion, it's the same thing, but the root word of communion or the translation is thanksgiving. Which is where we get our national holiday. And Abraham Lincoln declaring that. It was actually very much of a spiritual thing. It was a Eucharist time. Not just because we could have pecan pie and turkey and there, you know, all those things. It was very much a time to say, I'm going to gather with everybody, even if we don't agree with each other. And we're going to take one moment, one day a year, to give thanks. I encourage you to read the Thanksgiving proclamation. That root word of even Eucharisto or Eucharist is kara, which is grace and joy. It's an amazing thing that happens when you give thanks. You receive grace. You receive joy. I've been going through a thing, not to get too personal, but might as well. Uh, I've been going through a thing of just 
writing down what I'm thankful for. About six weeks I've done this. My attitude is split on a lot of those things. A lot of the things that I was bringing negative thoughts to, frustrated with, my situation, things I've done myself. When I started adding gratitude into my life, it's changed so many things. It's not just a John Maxwell saying, your attitude and your gratitude determines your altitude. Right? That's not, this is spiritual principles. Christ says, as long as you eat and as many times as you eat, give thanks for this and do it in remembrance of me. We're going to take a moment now, whether you're at home, you have a few minutes, or you're here, if you can get up, one, uh, one person for fam- per family or household, please, and you can go to the different corners of the room, and you can get the elements, the communion elements. Again, if you're at home, uh, you, can, you can run to the fridge, you can grab anything you have, but let there be some sort of solid, some sort of bread, some sort of liquid, and then we're going to take communion together. So you can go up and, and do that now, and then I'll call everybody back. I want to remind you that we have at Salem Fields what's called an open table. It means anybody can, can partake. You don't have to be a member of the church. But right now, either amongst your group, amongst your family, or quietly to yourself, I want you to say one thing that you're thankful for. Maybe it is something that you need a miracle in. Maybe you need a miracle in your relationships. Maybe you need a miracle in your in your job, maybe you need a miracle in your journey, even to the cross. But let's take a moment and give thanks for something. The gospel say that Jesus took the bread, as we've already mentioned, and broke it and lifted it up and gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And lifting the cup, he said, this is my blood that's been spilled for the covenant, for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. Pastor James is going to come up here and close this out. Uh, has an important announcement for us, but I just want to say one very practical thing. Um, when I was much, much younger, when I was interning at a church in Louisiana, which is another word for indentured servanthood, um, working for free for six days a week, and then on your day off, you went and actually tried to make some money anywhere you could. And uh, there's a very wealthy guy that lived next door to the church a certified billionaire. And he would ask us to come, some of the guys come and do some labor work, either for him or with him on Saturdays. And he, that was his break. Like he worked right alongside us. So if we're cutting down trees, he's teaching us how to cut down trees. We're cleaning up his yard. He's got 30,000 acres. Just tons and tons of stuff uh, to do. And he would work right alongside with us and then give us $100 for the day. And uh, at the time I was like, man, $100 is really good. But Working alongside him, I learned so many invaluable lessons. So, so many valuable lessons. And one day, he had ordered burgers for us for lunch. 
And even as a ministerial student, like I, I knew you're supposed to pray before every meal, but there's still that like, if you're doing construction work, you just eat, scarf and go. And so I had half the burger in my mouth and he stopped us and said, gentlemen, gentlemen, let's pray. Let's say grace before we eat this meal. And it's like I got parented real quick in my 20s and I got stopped. And so he paused and thanked God for the meal, thanked God for the ability to work and then asked this billionaire, asked for provisions for the next meal. And it refocused everything. And so after I finished my burger, I said, Mr. Stullard, do you do that at every meal? Hoping I'd like catch him. I didn't know if he was like just trying to front with the pastor, the young pastors. And uh, he said, every meal. He said, if I'm in Japan and we're having breakfast, I will stop everybody. Give thanks, say grace, pray for the meal. It refocuses us. And I said, do you ever have anybody like turn you down? He said, never, never. He said, Tim, people are always watching you. And he said, for me, it's a way to share faith and at least open the door. Now, I grew up in a Christian household. I knew the prayer that you memorized to give grace and say thanks before you ate. And sometimes you would you'd go a little bit further and say a little bit deeper. And sometimes you just wouldn't do it all together. And this idea of saying grace has become lost. It's a ritual that may have lost its meaning. May have lost its meaning because we don't gather around the dinner table as much. It may have lost its meaning because the one time that we do say it at Thanksgiving or Christmas time, we're struggling to come up with one thing we're thankful for and we really just want to eat. I want to encourage you, whether it's one meal a day, one meal a week, or every meal, that you pause, that you give thanks, that you say grace and watch Watch as God bestows the blessing and lets you receive the grace that you need in your life. Let's pray as Pastor James comes up. Father, we pray that you will put your hand upon us, that you would lovingly remind us whether we're in the drive through this week, whether we're sitting down with our families and friends uh, this week or in a couple weeks at Thanksgiving, that you would let us pause and give thanks to say grace, whether it's for something we feel blessed with or something we feel that in the name of Jesus we need help with. And I pray that you would give courage even to the spouses and the workers in here who, who need to do this at a time when it's mealtime but are unsure or afraid of the reception they're going to get. That you would give them the words to say to prepare that. And you would give them the grace that they need to walk it out. And as we go from here, that we would take your hospitality and your grace with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pastor James. Thank you, Pastor Tim. I love the fact that, uh, that we have this period between Halloween and Christmas to focus and to say thank you. And there are many ways that you'll say thank you uh, this season and um, many opportunities to say thank you. But as a church, one of the things that we've done for a number of years is we've said thank you by collecting and pledging towards an offering for Thanksgiving. And here's, here's the reason why we do it. Uh, we just believe so much in beyond spotsing and going, being four spots in beyond that we believe so much in this community and the wider community that we're all a part of 
that we do this Thanksgiving offering. Let me tell you how it works. So we'll bring a speaker in next year. Dave Bowser is a good friend of mine, and um, he's a missional pastor. Uh, he's so missional that uh, he was pastoring in Flint, Michigan. And when Flint, Michigan and the water stuff happened there and everyone moved out of the city, their church decided that they would go back into that boarded up city where squatters were hanging out and they would begin to rebuild community after community, neighborhood after neighborhood. They went into dilapidated houses and they redid them and then they helped people move back and made a huge difference because his philosophy was if you're going to be a church, you should be missional. Where well, we have that same passion here. And so what we do is we take a 15% of everything that comes in here goes out. And 5% of that we decide to collect during this offering. So here's our goal. Here's our big audacious goal. That we would collect $70,000 between next Sunday and the end of our church year, which is March the 31st. That every dime of it would leave here and would go to take hope to people around the world. Now, if you're new here, understand that we don't do this every week. We don't, we, don't, we don't talk about money every week from the perspective of sending it across the globe. We believe that giving is an act of worship. But this is a specific offering that we do once a year that goes around the world to take hope to people who do not have hope. Here's the great thing about this offering. It's not just for missionaries. Because, you know, in many world areas, missionaries can't travel. And so we use it in making sure that we can go through online efforts, making sure that we can go through satellites, but taking the message of hope to people all around the world. So next week there will be an opportunity for you to pledge. And here's how the pledge works. We don't, you don't have to put your name on it. You don't have to. It's between you and God. We just want to know how we're doing on the goal. So we'll ask you to fill out a pledge card. You can put your name on it. You don't have to put your name on it. But we'll ask you to fill out a pledge card and that you will drop it in a basket somewhere so we know where we're doing. And here's the deal. I want to thank you for, for at least 10 years. You've done this. And you've been faithful in it. And the money is gone across the seas throughout the globe. And people have come to know Jesus and hope because of your sacrifice. We're going to ask you to do not just kind of the take your tithes and offering and revert it to another offering. We're going to ask you to, to talk to God and say, God, what can I do sacrificially above and beyond my regular giving so that others will know? Here's the deal. Um, there are many people, many people who have come to know Jesus, and maybe some even in this room because of these type of offerings. And so we're going to be talking about that next week. We encourage you to come back. I, I, I know you're going to have a blast hearing from Dave Bowser. He's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. And uh, so I'm excited about having him here with us. Thank you for what you're doing. And as you go out the door, there's a, a table for Night to Shine. If you're interested in that, uh, we want you to kind of connect with that. If you're interested in the four spots, the activities, we want you to connect with that. I hope you're getting a theme here, that we come together and we connect together and we belong so others might believe and become. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Have a great day.